Hey guys, it's Dina and Lydia, and you're listening to Reese. And today we brought on our really good friend Oshi. Um, and we're talking about BDSM, polyamory, being queer, and essentially just non-conventional forms of sex. Um, so we're gonna start off essentially by we should introduce Oshi first. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 So <laughs> me and Oshi know each other because um, I come into your place of work quite often. Yeah. Yes. And the reason why we chose you is because it was your birthday and yes. you came into Filthy Rubin, which is where I work. Yeah. Um, and I asked you what you did for your birthday. You're yes. telling me, you're listening to all these things that are pretty normal. You know, I went out to dinner, I got flowers, mm-hmm. all these things. I got myself flowers, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody got me flowers. <laughs> Correction. We got flowers and yes. then... Um, we got them. We got, got them either way. And yeah. then you said, I also went to a dungeon. Yes. And so when I asked you about the dungeon, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you had said that it was like a sex dungeon in Windsor. Yes, um, yeah. So I'm an open book. So mm-hmm. when people ask, like people at work know that I'm kinky. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to my dungeon day. It's my dungeon day today, and they're like, oh, have a kinky time. <laughs> it's like really weird because like it's like forty plus year olds telling me this. Yeah, which. There are 40-plus-year-olds in the house. It's just weird when you're working with them. But, yeah, uh, for my birthday, we'll start from there. Uh, I was topped by a female dom and tied up to a wall and whipped and flogged and pleasured in front of about 20 people. Oh, Oh, people were watching? Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah, so, okay, a couple of words. I think I said that if somebody listens. So, topped is when you're bottoming. (laughs) I'm not helping. So, like, sub? Yeah, sub. Okay. So, BDSM stands for bondage, dominance, submission, and then sadism and masochism. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. that's what it stands for. Um, But you say top and bottom when there's no power exchange. So, when there's a dominant and a submissive, usually there's a power exchange. Okay. I didn't even know that. Yeah. But top and bottom is, like, for example, uh, there are rope tops who, like, like doing rope on people are suspending and if you're being suspended you're going to be the rope bottom but necessarily you haven't exchanged power at that moment they're just topping you that's wow i just thought like top and bottom was like the terminology to describe like who is on the top and who's on the bottom no. So it's totally yeah. different. I've been, different. yeah. Yeah, so there's, like, a lot of terminology. Like, I think uh, when you think about BDSM culture, a lot of people think of, like, Fifty Shades of Grey. Where, yeah. You know, there's the red room. Not always red. Putting it out there. My room is grey. <laughs> gets pretty Fifty Shades of Grey in there. <laughs> Screaming. <laughs> um, but I think a lot of people think of, like, dominant and submissive. But then there's, like, different interactions right there's littles and daddies and middles and bigs so that's based on age littles are people who like young so people you'll see wearing like onesies carrying like soft toys and plushies and then middles are like that grade school teen you know they like doing coloring and little things and you know they usually have like mummies or daddies who like take care of them and then bigs are teens and above who would have that. So there's those interactions. Then you have princess, and then uh, you've got brats who, like, instigate dominance and tops to, like, hurt them or, like, annoy them. So am I wrong when I say this is a little bit kind of, like, cosplay? Or, like, not cosplay, but it's just, like, it's role-playing. That's the word. It it is, like, role-play, but a lot of people... 
sometimes just live like that. And also oh, when you shit. say yeah. yeah, that's also insane. But also when you say um like teen or like littles, like yeah. these aren't people who are actually little, right? Like these are people who are no, adults. these are like they're who are just like they're just dressed, they're just dressed up. up. Okay, as, like we not even dressed up. Sometimes we wanted to make sure. Like, so somebody would be like, oh, I'm littling out, which would mean that they just want to like play with the toy or like be in the corner, but they'll be dressed like me. Like you don't even have to dress. It's just a mindset. It's a mindset. Uh, yeah, I just want to make sure that we're not talking about like children. No, <laughs> no children. <laughs> no, everybody is legal. Yeah, we don't. Yeah, and I think that's another misconception too. It's like, oh, people in BDSM they have no like morals, mm-hmm. which is which is something that I've come across. And it's like, no. Mm-hmm. Um, it's if anything, it's I find as a person who's partaken in like vanilla sex and then mm-hmm. vanilla I say, and you know, the non-vanilla kind, I find that in BDSM, it's so much more thought out. Mm-hmm. So, for example, uh, we you do something called having a negotiation. So if, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey is the only thing you watched or some porn is the only thing you watch, sometimes they'll have, like, contracts. Mm-hmm. That's a real thing. That's insane. So what would the contracts include? Just, like, consent. So consent is one. Uh, Triggers, trigger words, hard limits, soft limits, um, places that you can play in, uh, who you will be interacting with, are the tops a lot to bring others. Like there's so many parts to an interaction that you have to negotiate all of that. Mm -hmm. So it's like a long process even for that uh, so we call it a scene when you play with somebody mm-hmm. um, if it's just a small one um, so when I was seeing with the dom uh, she had like question after question it was like playing 20 questions she's like what are your trigger words what can I say what can't I say where can I touch where can I not touch mm-hmm. what can I do what can I not do so it's a really thought out thing because like f- to go into the dungeon I had to sign a waiver yeah you can get hurt yeah. And yeah. I think just like with BDSM in general, it's very consent focused. Oh, yeah, very, absolutely. Very focused on people's limits and open communication. Oh, yeah. Um, With like having things like trigger words and stuff that you don't get in conventional sex. No. And that's the funny thing, because you're taught that BDSM is this, you know, almost negative, immoral thing mm-hmm. when really like look at like regular vanilla heterosexual monogamous sex. Mm-hmm. A lot of the things that are like happening that are illegal or hurtful or happening mostly in those spaces, <laughs> spaces yeah. opposed to BDSM sex dungeon. Absolutely. So I, I joined the community and I think I mentioned this to uh, Lydia earlier when we talked about this like the first time. Yeah. I've only been in the community and like going to play parties and the houses and the munches maybe at the start of this year. Before that my interactions were mainly just based like on partners. So um when BDSM is done wrong, it can be really detrimental. So I was in an abusive relationship, which manifested through a BDSM-type relationship. Mm-hmm. So things can go wrong if you don't know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So it's best, like, if you are considering, there's so many books to read. There's, like, the book I'm currently reading is the new Topping book, and there's the new Bottoming book. Then uh, if we are, we're going to talk about polyamory, there's the Ethical Slut. Like, there's so many different things you can the read and read. Yeah, that's a great it's a it's a great book that you should take with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. Always take everything with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so when did you start getting into BDSM? Ever since I started having sex, 
anyone before, I would think. Okay. Um, I was a late bloomer, which people find really funny. I lost my virginity at 21. Like, I didn't do any. I was such a good teen. Like, my mm-hmm. parents didn't have to worry. Like, I wasn't sneaking out. But ever since I started, um, you kind of realize that you have a mindset. For example, I'm, um, I mainly recognize myself as a submissive. Um, but my submissiveness is not limited to the bedroom. I enjoy doing tasks for them. I enjoy like housemaking and cleaning and helping them out with their day to day, making sure that they're comfortable and they're really happy and also very submissive in, in the bedroom. But the cool thing about BDSM is the more you experience, the more you kind of are exposed to things where you're like, huh. I want to flog somebody too. So uh, mm-hmm. right now I'm also in a phase where I'm recognizing my top side, which is a very new thing for me. And that's why I'm reading the new top in book because mm. I'm not a top. <laughs> yeah. So, and there's so much skill that goes into so many of these things. Mm-hmm. So for example, uh, if you ever, and this, I don't think they sponsor you guys, but Spot of Delight does workshops in London, Ontario. Um, and, I've gone in there and I've talked to them about like, hey, I want to start learning how to flog. And they, I think they say something like 40 plus hours you should practice flogging a target before you flog somebody. So sorry, what exactly is flogging? Flogging uh, is, so flog is if you ever... It's so hard. We have to... Yeah, we actually don't know. We don't know, but also like we don't know how to explain this. Okay, so there's a flog, flog is, it's like a tassel, uh, but it's like a leather tassel. Okay. Oh, yeah. I know you know what, what I'm talking, talking about. about. I know yeah. exactly what you're talking about. Okay, now. so okay. that you can imagine it. So that's flogging. Then you have whipping, which requires even more uh, practice. Mm-hmm. Um, there's people that I've seen that can literally whip the same one inch over and over again, which is insane. Really painful. Insane. Uh, but yeah, like there's people in London who like make the different toys and there's so much craftsmanship that goes into it and then I have a friend where she mainly deals with like the care like the aftercare Mm -hmm. massages oils blends things that so there's aftercare that goes into it yeah aftercare is a big part of it so um when you play when you scene um before you do it in your negotiations, mm-hmm. one big part is aftercare. So depending on the kind of scene I'm doing, one of my aftercares is literally a burrito. <laughs> like I need a burrito and I need I'm to be like... I'm screaming. People don't... Heterosexual vanilla sex don't even know to pee. After <laughs> having sex. Yeah. And people you have a whole like, aftercare. Yeah. 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 yeah, it's... Um, so uh, after... Because when you uh, partake in sex in general but especially BDSM because you're hitting such a nice trigger like not a bad trigger triggers don't have to be bad but like Mm -hmm. the right spot the G spot on your mind Mm -hmm. um, you have endorphins flowing through you you are you get high without getting high Mm -hmm. Um, and so when that gets removed there is the possibility of something we call sub drop or top drop where you lose the endorphins and suddenly you're really sad and everything sucks so to avoid going into like a cycle so it's just like a drug where when you take a drug there's a calm down right and calm downs Mm -hmm. can be really bad so you alter that by doing aftercare making sure you keep everybody happy so Mm -hmm. uh, in the house we always have like cuddle puddles where like after somebody's scenes we all like cuddle them and wrap them in blankets and get them water off cookies and at the end of the night there's always chocolate somewhere 
for everybody to eat. This is so insane. <laughs> it sounds so fun. It sounds like, like the community is a loving like, one. Yeah. Oh, it is. And they're so accepting, right? And one of the main things you don't do is you don't kink shame. Um, like, if it's not hurting anybody, I mean. We do like to hurt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Like, if it's not maiming, I should say, like negatively affecting somebody, go for it. Okay. Like, I have hard limits. <laughs> I have hard limits where. Other people are like, oh, I do that every day. <laughs> One thing is like needle play is where you take. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. sorry, I'm sorry. I'm we really are shaking. We're shaking it in the studio because <laughs> she needles? said needles. Needles. So like the surgical needles. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Girl, we understood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so you know how when you're kids, you'll take a safety pin and you'll play with that, like the little skin under uh, your nail. Okay. So think of doing that, but in your normal skin. So that's a hard limit of mine. So I have a. Okay. I could never. I, yeah. I have a Flogging quest- maybe. <laughs> so I have a question. Yeah. Of Do course. you think there is a correlation between um, maybe like things that have happened throughout people's lives that translate into kinks? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. There, there definitely is. Um, you, you like especially if you look at certain cultures too that are involved. Uh, I haven't studied into it, so I won't, like, go ahead and, like, give you examples. But you can see certain trends. Like, even in my life, I can see certain trends where it's like, oh, yeah, like, when somebody does this specific thing, I react to it in this specific kink. For example, I have a weird thing with voices where if it's a high-pitched voice, like, I get really, like, toppy. I'm like, I want to tie you to the bench and spank you till you cry. Like, that's like a trigger for me. I don't know what it is. I think I had some bullies when I was younger who oh, had okay. really yeah, high-pitched yeah. voices where I'm like, oh. oh. I'm, but it, it's it's a weird thing when you get some self-awareness and you're like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I want to do to my bullies now. And it's like, no, 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 no. Yeah. But it's turned into something that invokes something. But I think... Yeah, your upbringing does have an effect on it. It's like anything else, right? Mm-hmm. Your taste buds are affected by your nurturing. Mm-hmm. And some of it is in your nature, but some of it's in your nurture. Mm-hmm. For example, guys with butt stuff. Not mm-hmm. not doing anal to girls, but having butt <laughs> like stuff done to butts. them. Like liking butts. But it's like the prostate is their G-spot. But some guys will squirm and scream and run from mm-hmm. it. And that's just a cultural thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. So despite you being so open, yeah. um, like do you face negative like reactions to you being so open? Because I mean, <laughs> I was obviously like so excited when you told me about your yeah. BDSM because I was like, oh my god, I want to talk more about this. I have no stigma against people who yeah, are into BDSM. Um but what if I was? Like you were <laughs> honestly I think I've gotten to a place where, like, I don't care because okay. I, um, with a lot of things in life, I think I mentioned this before we started recording, like, my mom wouldn't know this. <laughs> like, my parents wouldn't know this. But it's, I, I grew up in a place where I had to suppress a lot of things, my mm-hmm. sexuality, my attractions, my sex life. So, yeah, of course you get people who are just like, oh, so you're, like, amoral and, like, you don't create real relationships mm-hmm. with people and oh people just like you for your body it's like okay if that's what you think go for it because honestly you can change a person's mind like I'm a person who has a lot of mental health issues and the negative reactions I get to something I have no control of have taught me to just not give a fuck <laughs> at that point like if you had to be like oh that's weird I would have been like alright I won't tell her about that again mm-hmm. Yeah. so it's just a matter of I'm not going to hide my truth but if you can't handle it 
I'll lie to you through avoidance, but I'm not going to not talk mm-hmm. about it. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Because the thing is about the social stigma too, it's not just it's not just like we're not teaching about BDSM in sex education classes. Yeah. It's not just, you know, we all have this Christian morale or religious morale that teaches us not yeah. to. We actually learned in class, uh, both Dean and I, because we took a sex education class, yeah. that we literally mentioned every episode. Every episode. Thank you, Nicole Edwards. <laughs> thank you, Nicole Edwards. Because you taught us everything we know. <laughs> literally. Um, but it's also in some ways against the law to be into BDSM. So in yeah. our class, it was saying, or we like had a document where they're explaining under the Canadian law, a person cannot consent to physical harm. Mm-hmm. So bodily harm is defined as something that interferes with the health and comfort of people. Yeah. Um, and technically, BDSM is under this category. However, it's interesting because despite BDSM entering this category, when we look at sports, like people in hockey will fight each other until they have bloody noses. Yeah. But we yeah. don't give a shit about that. It's something yeah, we actually all. As a collective, I get excited when people get beat up in hockey. I yeah. watch hockey a lot. I mean, as a collective, we literally like, even like UFC or like anything like that. Like you're any contact. Sport. We watch any it. We film it. Sport. We actually these football watchers ha- they the have con- like they're concussed. <laughs> we watch life. it in slow mo, but we don't care because it has nothing to do with sex. Yeah. So it's like there is something very specific about BDSM that triggers people yeah. into feeling like it is immoral. Yeah, and I think I think it also has something to do with like media as well because anytime. You, it's like a threesome or which I have fun things to say about but um, whether it's that or like spanking or whatever it is it's always like attached to a character who's like sleazy or mm-hmm. like scumbaggy and mm-hmm. a woman who's like really broken and doesn't know what she wants but if you talk to like a real dominant for example like their thing is like yeah like I beat the living shit out of her but that empowers her to be a badass bitch and know what she wants. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the interaction. And I think it's just also the fantasies that people who don't know BDSM culture get to. For example, every guy I talk to on all the online dating apps I've been on, I always like asking the question, what's your sexual fantasy? Because my one's up. <laughs> uh, but uh, they they're always like oh a threesome I, I'd like two girls to suck my dick and it's like every guy mm-hmm. I kid you not every guy oh, says that's that that's such a good point yeah that's it's, so it's, true because that's what is promoted as the cool thing yeah whereas BDSM is like ugh oh god like spank a person oh that's just the porn I watch mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's not real to a lot of people mm-hmm, mm-hmm. whereas if some but he's like, I had a threesome. Everybody's like, yeah, mm-hmm. go you. Not saying I'm against threesomes, but it's just an example. So do you find that being a woman in BDSM, there's more stigma opposed to like men in BDSM? A little bit. Okay. I would say, I wouldn't say within the community that's the case because there's a lot of like dominance for females and nobody will cross them. Um, but I think outside it, it's more kind of this it's the same thing with anything women do I think it's not just BDSM it's anything it's like why aren't you happy with you know lying down starfishing and having a good time like it's it's the same thing where so many sexual relationships fall apart because women don't orgasm mm-hmm. yeah because people period. don't care yeah yeah and that's the thing too is like how are you going to tell someone that they're desires mm-hmm. are not feminist if it's actually just their choice yeah. and feminism 
as a whole is about allowing people to yeah, live and their you can choices. flip the script, right? Like, are you feminist if you're telling another woman that they can't explore an area of their sexuality? Mm-hmm. But I think at the same yeah. time, it takes a very strong person to be able to yeah. grapple with those identities and Absolutely. to be able to have the feminist idea- identity and then also like yeah. partake in something like BDSM or polyamory when you're yeah. not system or like societally allowed. Yeah. To carry both of those identities. Yeah, I think there are quite. Um, I want to say jaded views on those. There's this mm-hmm. like shining star of who you have to be as a feminist, and I think that's sometimes detrimental to feminism, mm-hmm. especially because yeah, like people who might be in kink or might be whatever else, kind of don't want to be a part of it anymore. Mm-hmm. And you're right. It does. It took me not too much, but being surrounded by people who support me was really useful and really helpful. But. I could see somebody who constantly hears that might just be like, maybe I'm not feminist. Maybe I'm not going to support this cause. I'm just going to live my life because it's really hard not to live your life the way that you're going to feel fulfilled. Mm -hmm. Because BDSM is directly proportional to your fulfillment in life, in my opinion, because it is such a huge part of what you are and who you are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So would you, do you date people specifically who are into BDSM? Uh, not exactly. Okay. Um, and I guess that's where the polyamory comes in. Yeah. Which so, quick we'll, segue. I yeah, guess. that's a good segue for us. <laughs> yeah. Um, to like switch gears. So we also want to talk about polyamory. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Lydia wanted to start with. Yeah, because well, we we're talking before about the stigma, mm-hmm. specifically for women in BDSM, and yeah. how it might be a little bit harder for them. I think the same is true for polyamory. Obviously, polyamory is not something that's socially acceptable, period. No. Um, but in some ways, it's almost okay for men to not to be polyamorous, if that makes sense. Because they're a player. So they're players. So <laughs> it's, maybe we don't call it polyamory. polyamory. We, ta- we call it he's a cheater and has three girlfriends. Yeah, yeah, and like boys will be boys and men, niggas are niggas. Like it's just like a thing that people are yeah. okay with. Men can have so many side chicks and we don't call it you know, this person is poly, but we think it's okay. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, women being polyamorous. She's a whore, she's a slut, she's promiscuous. I think it's also people misunderstanding what polyamory is. For example, I had a heated argument at work one time. Uh, (laughs) And this wasn't based on me. They didn't know I was polyamorous. And I have grappled with the fact that I am polyamorous for a long time because it is so against everything I've been taught growing up. Mm -hmm. I'm from Sri Lanka. I grew up in a traditional household. My parents have been married for 37 years now. It's very much in my blood to be like, oh, God, this is all wrong. Mm -hmm. So it took me a long time to be okay with myself being polyamorous. Um, But I find that people immediately go to, like, polyandry, which is or polygamy, where it's, like, marriage and, like, you marry so many people and it's a cult and it's like mm-hmm. ah. that's completely different uh, yeah that's different, different. yeah because Often has a religious ties too uh, so. and i think uh somebody i met from the king community because some there is a lot of overlap not always but there is a lot of overlap in polyamory and kink um but somebody i met in the king community who was polyamorous he explained it to me as it's not that you are like oh i don't want one person i want a hundred it's more that your needs are like a jigsaw puzzle and each different person you're with fits into that as Mm -hmm. a different piece and all of them together make a whole so that's kind of how i approach it so 
for example, when you said, hey, like, do you only date people who are into kink? No, because sometimes maybe I get some sort of fulfillment from one person and doesn't even have to be sexual. There are asexual polyamorous relationships, which mm-hmm. is they just like each other. Mm-hmm. It's up to the person to really define that. I mm-hmm. think polyamory as a definition has been skewed and used as an excuse there where there's a huge black mark against it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Especially yeah. around emotional polyamory. I feel like, mm-hmm. not that I think that people don't, like think polyamory is positive by any means, but when you do say polyamory, people often just think like, yeah, you want to have sex with a lot of people. So yeah. the idea of wanting people sexually outside your primary partner is... Like, we kind of get it. We don't think it's good, but we kind of get it. But to emotionally want to connect with someone else is, like, what the fuck? Yeah. And (laughs) to be honest, like, when I think about polyamory, so first I'm going to throw back a question of, like, do you feel like it's something that is almost like your orientation? Because you kind of explain yourself to be, like, I am poly. Like, it's almost an identification thing. It is an identification thing. It's not so much attached to my sexuality because, like... I don't think you have to be like pan or bi or gay to be poly, but I think it's it is very much a part of your identity. Where I've had friends who are like, "Oh, I came out to my parents as poly," <laughs> because that is a huge deal. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I'm uh, I'm bringing my girlfriend this week. Oh, and uh, next week my boyfriend's gonna come for dinner, <laughs> and it's like, what? Yeah, yeah. what? So mm-hmm. yeah, because my thing is is. I love Jubilee videos. I watched the Jubilee, um, I think it's the Spectrum series where they're talking about people who are monogamous versus people who are polyamorous. And I'm telling you, like, every time I read about polyamory, every time people say points about, um, Mm -hmm. like, the positive polyamory, like, you know, you have friends, you don't have just one friend. You might have one best friend, but you have other friends that fulfill different needs, just kind of like the jigsaw puzzle Mm -hmm. analogy. And that makes literally the most amount of sense to me. Um, especially on a romantic level. Like, you can have someone that you connect with, like, on a best friend or on a best romantic partner level and still have other people you might want to go to dinner with or some people you just want to make out with. But it's just, like, emotionally, I'm not there yet. Yeah, and I I think I've expressed this to a lot of my friends where I always say I'm not emotionally mature enough to have a primary partner. Okay. So, yeah, like... To just talk about, like, the piece where it's like, yeah, it does make a lot of sense when you're, like, on paper. It's like, oh, yeah, every human should have three partners. Mm-hmm. But some people are genuinely monogamous. Like, some people genuinely don't want to see somebody else. Some people genuinely think, you know, soul. soul I have soul, soul ties, soulmates. Yeah. All that. And that's okay. Because, yeah. you know, that's you. And that's, I think, where the identity piece comes in. Um, but yeah, when it when it comes to like a primary partner, I don't have the emotional maturity because it takes so much. While it might come natural to you, there's so much consideration you have to take when you're not dealing with not just one, but like multiple people. And emotions are they're always gonna get involved, and you need to have so much emotional maturity, open lines of communication, therapy if therapy is needed, and just like blatant honesty. Like if you fuck up. You tell the person that you're primary with that you fucked up. Whereas if, for example, I have who I call play partners, and then I have partners who I date. Okay. Um, so do you have, like, a pr- like a primary, like, 
is it one main person no. and then so it's everyone's just basically on like even playing field. even playing field there's not one person where i'm like i'm going home to you tonight yeah and i'm gonna share everything so the play partners i have they know of my other play partners obviously for safety reasons i got my sdi test done today because mm-hmm. i get that done because like i i'd be stupid to think that they're not polyamorous and i'm aware of their partners mm-hmm. so you gotta have that level of honesty and making sure like you say like hey i did this or if you are playing with another partner, be like, hey, I got beat up really hard by this person, so don't hit me there. So mm-hmm. there's that communication, but there's nobody where you're like, this is A to Z, what happened? This is how I feel about this person. You know, I want you to meet this person. Nothing like that. Because with primary partners, usually they're so aware of your partners and they know them. You might vacation with them. Like, it's like a big family. Mm-hmm. So... It's different. So right now, my toe in polyamory is me figuring out who I am in that interaction. Mm-hmm. So how like how many partners do you have like at one time or like right it now? It depends. Uh, right now, I have two play partners and then one person I date. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So sometimes it's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes you like lose track. Sometimes you're like, okay, I'm like really happy in this space, mm-hmm. and then you grow and evolve and maybe they don't grow and evolve and then there is heartbreak and there is sadness it's mm-hmm. not like i'm polyamorous so i don't feel i don't get dumped mm-hmm. you too <laughs> but it's just yeah, you don't it's get just dumped. different yeah yeah because yeah that's you're not turning into polyamory if you think that yeah, yeah. <laughs> not so the case where do you meet other people that are like polyamorous or like like you just like date normally and then kind of bring it up or like how does that work so yeah, a conversation's definitely needed. Mm-hmm. Um, there's obviously so there's like poly munches okay. and uh, poly sloshes, poly groups that you can hang out with. Uh, so that becomes a little traumatic if you start dating everybody and you know one as, group yeah. as it would as it would if you started dating in a friend group. Yeah. Um, but for me, I've had the opportunity to like meet people. So the kink website that I use is Fat Life, which is been around for more than a decade at sorry, this point. Sorry, Fat Life? Fat Life. F-E-T-L-I-F-E. Okay. Um, people I meet there, they're usually really open to polyamory. Okay. Um, but I've met, like, one of the people that I play with right now, I met him on Bumble. Where, oh, that's uh, a really, like, wholesome app. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's turning. <laughs> it's, I think it's, like, Zeusk or something that's the most wholesome app now. Oh, I, I don't kidding. know if that's the one. I've I, never even heard of that. Yeah. yeah, I just saw it today. Like, it came up on my Instagram because Google's listening to me. Um, <laughs> they, are, they are listening <laughs> to you. I have yeah. a Google Home Mini, and I talk to it all the time. So, <laughs> she knows. Um, <laughs> but I, we met, and, you know, he's like, oh, you know, like, I'm not looking to date. And I'm like don't you worry, I'm polyamorous. And he's like, oh, what's that? And like, he's been somebody who's come into BDSM and polyamory after meeting me. So that was fun because I got to mold him. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> like help him out. Yeah, in yeah, it, yeah. Right? That's, that's positive because you're like molding into probably what he wanted and now he has the words and the vocabulary and exactly. a person to test it out And with. I think that's a big thing, especially with males. And females have a lot of struggles, but I think males also have the struggle of accepting what they want. Mm-hmm. So, for example, this man, uh, he enjoys being a bottom, which is usually not machismo culture. Mm-hmm. He's in a very machismo job and looks like a dude's dude, but likes being tied to a bed and used. So, yeah, that was yeah. a sideline. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 yeah. But coming back to polyamory, yeah, I don't have a primary partner. My partners change all the time. 
Um, and I'm working on my my emotional stability and emotional maturity because, like you said, emotions are involved. And as much as I'm open to shit, I get sad sometimes mm-hmm, and I get yeah. jealous sometimes. Mm-hmm. And that's something you got to work on yourself. Because yeah, yeah, I definitely think I'm. I can't tell you. I don't think that it's nature versus nurture in this case. I think that some people really are just polyamorous. Some people really are yeah. just monogamous. Um, but yeah, like I think logically, like for me, I do understand polyamory. I've kind of expressed this before where I think, like, for me, sexually, there's so many hot people in the world. And, like, <laughs> literally, the idea of my partner not finding anyone else in this world sexually attractive to me is a load of baloney, right? Yeah. But it's not that they don't find them attractive. It's that they're not acting on it. Yeah. yeah. And, that to, me, and, and that to me it. is, like, almost, like, logically, of course, guys, you know, we're just talking out of, I'm just talking, I'm not talking out of experience. Um, logically, to me, that doesn't really mean much. Because even if you are just, like, interacting with people sexually, you don't give a shit about them. What really gets to me is the idea of someone like my partner being emotionally intimate with yeah. someone else. And that's something that I just like I my brain at this moment can't process and I think it is an idea of maturity. Yeah. So I'm wondering, do you think that polyamory in some ways is not always just something that is like nature, it's something that you can almost logically turn yourself over to? You can definitely work on it. Okay. So I know for like I could be selfish. I I think of myself as selfish when it comes to being like I know one person can't give me everything I need. I am it's, fully well, that's aware the thing. of it. It's with but every it's very it's, unrealistic. It's all and yeah. In all but some people, respects. you know, truly believe that it is one person, yeah. right? You can't even get that out of friendships. That's why you have other friends. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I know for a selfish reason that is the case. But mm-hmm. I know I've had to work on so many things. For example, like being honest with my feelings. Being able to tell someone like, hey, that sucked. I hate that. Don't mm-hmm. do that. And a lot of people in polyamorous relationships, when you have a primary partner, just like in BDSM, they actually have rules and negotiations around it. Mm-hmm. And when those rules are being broken, they talk about it. And at that point, they either terminate those outside relationships or figure out how to course correct. Yeah. It is an ongoing work in progress. I know people who you know, think they're polyamorous, but really they aren't emotionally yeah they're just they're still yeah yeah Yeah. i think that's the thing with both bdsm and polyamory is that they both do focus a lot on communication a lot on emotional literacy a lot on consent yeah because you do have to have like um those conversations and those limits where it's like you can do this but you can't like don't have a sleepover or don't do this yeah in in engaging with other people so Mm -hmm. i think that that piece is really important when you look at like yeah. non-conventional forms. Yeah, yeah because even, um, sorry, even going back to the BDSM and just like in contrast to vanilla, BuzzFeed a while ago came out with this video um, talking about consent. And right. they went around the street and asked people like, okay, so how do you actually ask for consent? And a lot of people, one, didn't know how to, um, assuming that people were engaging in vanilla sex, like regular, regular, yeah. like <laughs> sex. It's quite easy. It's like, do you want my dick in you? But which is interesting. Yeah, which also is interesting because in conversations with some of my uh, friends, they were saying, like, I understand consent is so important, but they were saying how it's almost a turnoff for them. Like, they hate getting asked, like, can I do this in the heat of yeah. the moment? Because they're like, dumb fuck, obviously. But it's not an obviously. But, like, yeah. it's not. It's never obviously. I think a lot obviously. of people, they think that consent can be nonverbal and it can just be the body language or the vibes or whatever. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing with... Which, I don't... I, I, I don't it's wanna, hard to speak I on. Don't I don't want to speak on it. I don't want to speak on it. <laughs> yeah, <either. laughs> honestly, um, 
my personal take on that is it it really is your reaction to it like when somebody's like can i kiss you like i'm all there i'm like <laughs> yeah you can but i i think that comes from a place where i've experienced the the downside of that like verbal nonverbal body language type of con- consent you know i been in a assault actually and yeah. it's a victim of abuse act- right yeah. and i know where like your mind is at at that point so when somebody's like hey can i touch you? like in the house if i don't know someone i say hey is it okay if i touch you or hey is it okay if i hug you because you have to be so aware of that cuz there might be people who don't want to be touched or don't want to be hugged mm-hmm. like uh, there'll be days where i'll somebody i've hugged before i'll still ask hey is it okay if i hug you today and they'll sometimes say no mm-hmm. so i think i love it but mm-hmm. again you're right it's it's more even accepted in BDSM culture polyamory whereas in normal day-to-day life if you ask your friend hey so give a hug you they'll be like what the fuck you talking about yeah. and like the people that ask are not people i'm sexually doing anything with mm-hmm. yeah and yeah. that's like do you want a hug yeah. yeah and that's the thing too with like monogamous relationships right like to a certain extent there is already kind of a like a rule book so like yeah. don't cheat on me what does cheating look like it means having sex and like dating other people and kissing other people yeah. um, but there's a lot of things that are just like not really written like yeah what is like especially with like social media and stuff yeah it's like is responding to someone's story cheating exactly is is, is, res- is commenting a hard eye cheating <laughs> like is that cheating is that and, and it's honestly like you're not warranted to go message a, a girl and be like hey your boyfriend just sent me hard eyes like what what's up because what, it's like what it's not a big deal but at the same time you know to that other person it would be a big deal yeah. in like a traditional monogamous relationship yeah. so yeah cheating is just a weird like it's, yeah, it's yeah. a weird gray area of like <laughs> and you don't want to get involved and it's just yeah yeah. and I think also monogamous relationships having been in one that was not great um, there's like assumed consent that I freaking hate like mm-hmm. that there you go it's the worst where you know like i opened up to a friend where i was like oh like my ex was abusive like sexually abusive and they were like but, but you're dating, you were dating him yeah but it's and that's one another thing i love about bdsm is like even whilst you're playing you can call red and your consent's taken back you stop play you go straight to aftercare whereas in monogamous relationships it feels like you almost have an obligation there's no checking in are you okay mm-hmm. how are you doing there's nothing of that sort right mm-hmm. so i hate assumed consent like, yeah. uh, that's yeah. my point yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it's a lot it's of like, that it's a myth it doesn't exist even if you're dating someone you still need to get their consent because just because and just because you've had sex with someone before doesn't mean that that's a con- like there's no such thing as continued consent mm-hmm. no. a like, wedding ring is not consent <laughs> Deadass, yeah. like honestly. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Another thing about polyamory too is like we know through statistics, like humans are really bad at monogamy. Humans aren't supposed to be monogamous creatures. Essentially. Oh, okay. There is We're the only I know we're the studies. only mammals, I think, that are monogamous. Is that what it is? That there there are other mammals okay. that are monogamous, but I don't think uh so for example, marriage is one of the reasons monogamy is a thing. marriage was a business transaction when it started it is not what we were meant to really do and that's why you have like if you look at 
uh, cultures that aren't modern Western. I'm doing air quotes here as an archaeologist. Um, <laughs> they don't have the conventional marriage. Like it really was a village raising a kid. Mm-hmm. You know, this matriarchal societies, this patriarchal societies, there's still polyandry in certain countries. It, it, it's not a natural thing. It's not in our DNA. That is why cheating is such a prevalent thing. And that's uh, people, you'll hear people say, oh, humans aren't supposed to be monogamous. Does not mean you cheat on your, your partner. But I, I honestly, being someone who's polyamorous, don't think it's a, a thing. Mm-hmm. It's hard. Mm-hmm. And you find the one person. Also, like, um, in both of these subcultures, like, you're obviously a visible minority. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, looking at especially the polyamorous community, it's generally white, middle class, or, like, well-off yeah. people in, in terms of research. And so they have the type of privilege where, like, your actions mm-hmm. are not going to be as scrutinized no. as, like, someone who's obviously a visible ni- minority. Yeah. So what kind of has been your experience with that? It's been interesting uh, because even, yeah, people are like, oh, your parents would never accept it, which they wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um, I'm someone who's, ex- like, not against marriage. It's not for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and my parents are definitely like, you got to get married. So there's this things where it's like I can never be honest with people I really care and love, um, given my culture. Uh, but even in those communities, it's like, are you really or are you just acting out? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which can tell you not acting out, too old for that. Um, <laughs> but there's always also the thing where it's like you almost, unfortunately, as not from the people in the community, but people who know you're in a community almost get fetishized mm-hmm. in in that sense. So it, it is something I, ha- I have had to navigate, but I find that the more people like, get to know you, the less you really care about the color of your skin, but it is a work in progress. Mm-hmm. It's The way I usually get like approached in parties is just to be like, oh my God, your skin looks so good in that lingerie. Like that's the kind I of thing. I think about that, that's so true. Yeah, because I just, I feel like, like, is there a lot of other visible minorities involved in those there's type of things? There's a few. There's yeah. a it's few. just because London, Ontario, I'm assuming, is like... Yeah, surprisingly, okay. there's like... There's another Sri Lankan oh, <laughs> in wow. the London kink. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, there is minorities, but I think, like, you almost don't care mm-hmm. because it's the persona that stands out or what your kink is that stands out. Because in kink... Also, there are minorities, so it, it's it's just a ball full of minorities. And um, I think you mentioned at the beginning, like the queer community, that they're also quite active in the kink community. Not everybody. I'm not saying everybody <laughs> who is queer is into kink. That's not what I'm saying. Or polyamorous. Um, but there is that. There's a lot of intersectionality in a lot of these cultures, and yeah minorities you do see like for example a lot of sub brown men that is something I've noticed (laughs) recently and I'm like oh that's a very specific yeah yeah Mm -hmm. and it's really cool to see though because it's like maybe like our culture is literally driving people to being this way Mm -hmm. Um, and you'll see like toppy brown women and you're like okay 
This is cool. Girl, okay, girl. Oh, yeah, you go. Yeah. So, yeah, there is, there is scrutiny, but it depends on how you react to it, I think. Mm-hmm. Like, if you accept your curve, curves and your brown skin, chances are everybody else is going to. Mm-hmm. And I think it's an internal thing as well. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, I definitely wanted to talk about um, your queer identity because it is yeah. Pride Month. Happy Pride it Month, everyone. Pride. Happy Pride. Um, so you mentioned a little bit how there is intersectionality. Mm-hmm. Um, but the interesting thing about it being Pride Month is you mentioned that this is going to be your first time going to Pride. Yeah. And you expressed a little bit why that was. Yeah. But I want you to repeat it for the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, I... When I discovered my queerness, I don't know if that's the right word, um, but when I realized I'm queer, I came out to myself, really. I haven't had like an official coming out with a okay. cake or anything. It's not been done. <laughs> uh, but I, I came out as bi, and then you notice that there's non-binary people that I'm very attracted to. So pansexual is what I go by. But I haven't essentially taken part in pride it's two folded one being that i feel like i'm not the right kind of queer and the second being i wasn't prideful of my queerness or me being pansexual so the second one i've worked on i'm like fuck everybody else Mm -hmm. i'm queer as fuck let's go me and my mom friends scream it's a great day to be gay all the time randomly it's fantastic the other part of it being you know being a woman of color again uh, saying like, hey, I'm bi. And it's like, again, is this a face? Are you just acting out? Mm-hmm. Is it because your parents want you to marry a brown boy? Not really. Or are you sure you're not just gay? Are you sure you're not just straight? Are you sure you're not just trying to fit in? Which I don't think <laughs> being queer is the way to, to fit do in. Yeah. But I feel like that's yeah. the worst way to fit in possible. Yeah, but you're it's going to stand out. Yeah, it's weird to be marginalized within a marginalized community sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I've had it where somebody will be like, oh, what's the last time you went down on a woman? It's like, it's not your fucking business. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm attracted to who I'm attracted to. I can't help that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think we talked about, like, how certain parts of the LGBT community might be more celebrated than others. And that is a thing. And I think that's a thing in all communities. But I think being Pride Month, I think, just accept everybody for who they are. I have friends who are like, full-blown straight waiting till marriage to have sex not me at all one of my best friends i accept her (laughs) Mm -hmm. she accepts me it's like don't push your agenda on other people and i think i felt like pride did that a lot especially because i was an outsider coming into western culture and it was a little bit of culture shock Mm -hmm. where you know we don't wear rainbow colored things at back home like we just yeah. don't do that so it was a culture shock but it, it's it was feeling no pride and feeling like i wasn't a lot to be prideful because of my sexuality yeah despite and sorry did you discover a lot about your sexuality before coming to canada i was just about to ask that okay like, good yeah like especially with yeah. um yeah like getting well i guess you said you got into bdsm more recently oh uh, well the community more recently yeah. but i have known I think I've always known I think you always know yeah. mm-hmm. um I think I again like just like I didn't have sex till I was 21 and I think it was just because I knew I wasn't conventional or the right kind 
culturally of what I wanted in sex, what I wanted in partners. So I just shied away from it. So did you wait till you moved to Canada or did Yeah, I, I lost my virginity at twenty one. Okay, Sorry, so, so you were already it, here. I was yeah. here. I moved here when I was nineteen. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So I think I felt a lot more of an opportunity. That's why, like, I know a lot of people feel very suppressed and oppressed here, but for me, it's a very different experience because I come from somewhere where the stigma is maybe a million fold more than what it is here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, my mom didn't know what transsexual meant till two years ago. No, I doubt That's- my mom knows what <laughs> transsexual means now, today. I, I had to explain her. to my sister what non binary meant. So I was like, mm-hmm. I'm pansexual. And I recently had to explain to someone that pansexual does not mean you're into bestiality or into fucking inanimate objects, but it's legal people. <laughs> this is a real that conversation I had. So weird. <laughs> Read up. Scary. If you are someone who is not in these communities, talk to us. We love educating, but educate yourself. Cause it's so easy. And that's the annoying thing is yeah. when people don't do their research before they come talk to you. Yeah. Like, it's not... I don't have a problem with talking to people about race or gender or, like, whatever it is. But, like, if you're not making any effort, then it's just, like, what? You why? won't be educated unless you yeah. seek it out. Like, exactly. I'm not... I'm not gonna... I, I did go to Lydia and just tell her all about my birthday. But I'm not gonna, <laughs> like, just stand in a corner at Dundas and Richmond and I'm not going to be like BDSM we like leather and we flog each other when we are bored <laughs> like not going to do that Can you imagine <laughs> yeah. be fun it'd be funny I, I could give the preachers a run for their money but it, it's just something I won't I won't do and honestly like I think parents especially and people like our age who are going to be parents should really learn the verbiage and how to talk about it because I think for me my parents never had the sex talk so there was a lot of confusion there was a lot of failures which are really detrimental and traumatizing failures mm-hmm. till I came to this place where I'm still working on a lot of trauma and triggers but I think if I had someone who knew how to talk to me about it who knew the words and the options and you know you're not going to suggest someone to become something they're not yeah and well that's the thing because Mm -hmm. even though like there is a cultural barrier you know you look at canadian or american sex education and it is awful i mean granted like we're lucky enough that i guess we get a class it's called sex you know how to put a condom on a banana but like i never even got that like we never got i didn't get anything i I watch movies that's all i know (laughs) that's all i know you guys do (laughs) i did get the condom with a banana but um for the most part you know your sex education class especially on like the female side is like guess what you get a period that's not sexual by any means it's like it's just the fundamental biology of a like of a cisgendered woman yeah um so I don't know why it's labeled sex education. So (laughs) that's the problem. And Mm -hmm. I think that we're not given the opportunity to help teenagers or young people who are now going to get involved in sex to learn about different aspects of their sexuality. And they have to wait till they're 21 or plus to be like, actually, I do like getting hit. Or actually, I am queer. Actually, you know, I am polyamorous. Yeah. And I think it's really sad because it is really attached to your mental health too. Yeah. Sexuality is an important part of um, your health. Yeah, for Sex sure. Sex is important. Anybody who's like, unless you're asexual, not not throwing them under the bus, but people who enjoy sex, who like sex, 
like I'm a person who needs sex. I will feel sad if I haven't had sex in a month. It is a thing. <laughs> it does give me endorphins. Orgasms are good for you. It does make my skin look better. <laughs> but it, it, it's just clear it's, skin, water, and orgasm. There yeah. you go. But it, it, it is such an innate part of you, your mm-hmm. sexual identity, your sexuality, who you are. It's really important for your, like, your mental health. There's there's been cases of people end their lives because of these things because they just don't know how to express it, which mm-hmm. is really shitty because we've got Google and don't shame people who are trying to learn. Maybe it's like maybe they just have a question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're going to have an entire episode about sex education because <laughs> we are after our class and like <laughs> the one class. Guys, it really was a half credit, but we are geniuses. No, honestly, everyone that goes to West, if you go to Western, you need to take that class. Yes. Women's Studies 2163B. Nicole Edwards. It. Nicole Edwards. <laughs> Even take her other class. She has another class about Beyonce. Or oh like, my god, yeah, she does. Or like something Beyonce. like it's like a, it's like a pop culture class. Yeah. And oh. you honestly have a lecture on Beyonce. So Women's Studies. Women's Studies. Um, thank you so much for being of on. Of course. And being so open. And like this is the information we need because truly, like, there's someone listening to this that wanted all that information and yeah. you just gave it to them on a silver platter. Yeah. And yeah. my way might not be your way, so just figure that out. Reach yeah. out, talk to people. We love talking. Okay, yeah. well, we can put like do you have like a Twitter, Instagram, something like that? I do have an Instagram. Okay, did you, would you mind if we put it yeah, in? Yeah, no. Yeah, so then DM her. DM her if you got DM some her questions. questions. Yeah. Not dick pics, nothing crazy. I mean, <laughs> if it's pretty, I'll take it. <laughs> this I is not suggestive, anyone. No, I'm here just, to help. Yeah, <laughs> to educate. Anyways, follow us on all of our socials. Guys, too many to count, but you know what it is. Instagram, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud. YouTube. And YouTube. I don't edit these videos for literally myself. Please. (laughs) Please. Please subscribe. Subscribe. And honestly, like, we just need to get our bread up, so please. like, Yeah. Even follow us on our own accounts. Like, crazy. (laughs) But, like, (laughs) follow me on my personal. Yeah. You like hearing my voice. Maybe you like my face, too. But anyways. No, just follow Retweet Podcast on Instagram. That is what we're plugging for today. At Retweet Podcast. Thank you. Anyways, thank you guys so much for listening. Thanks for having me, guys. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.